Over the past couple of sermons, I sought to address some of the very basic differences that guests and visitors tend to see when they come into the assemblies of the Churches of Christ, into the assembly here in particular. The reason I've done that is as we expand our door knocking, as we expand talking to people and really truly seeking to make this a summer of new growth and new beginnings and, and really telling people about Jesus, when people come to our assemblies, they see these different things. I want to not only refresh our memory, but where there's so much use of the internet and, and all of those sorts of things today, all of these lessons, you can, you can actually tell somebody, if they ask you some of these questions, well, that's answered right here. And you can either point them to our Facebook page, you can point them to my website, godswordistruth.org, where all of these lessons in audio are posted and say, here's a lesson on that. Or you can use it to brush up yourself. Last Sunday night, for example, we talked about why the Churches of Christ do not use instrumental music in our worship assemblies, and we talked about the biblical reasons why. This morning, we talked about some of the reasons why we preach that baptism is absolutely essential to salvation. <coughs> and tonight, as I mentioned this morning, we're going to talk about giving. Not your typical sermon on giving, I assure you. Tonight we're going to talk about giving in the sense of who is, who is not to give, and why, when our guests and visitors come into our assemblies. I'd like to begin tonight with the words that Brother Alan Webster used to begin one of his excellent tracks, this one entitled, I Would Go to Church but all they want is money. His words to begin that tract. He says, money can be a sensitive topic. Many have been turned away from Christianity because of religious leaders' attitude toward money. Not a few had bad personal experiences in churches due to it. It is not uncommon, Brother Webster wrote, to hear things like these. Number one. I don't want to go to church because when I do, they want me to empty my pockets. They make me feel guilty if I don't donate. Or perhaps this, number two. For once, I'd like to see a church where they didn't ask for money as soon as I walk in the door. Or perhaps number three in this list of things that you might hear, according to Brother Webster. Why do churches keep asking for money all the time? Frankly, it turns me off, and I think it does a lot of others, too. Okay. Well, you know, you can't blame people in today's world for being skeptical, cynical, maybe even sarcastic when it comes to the subject. Who could blame them? I certainly can't blame them. Consider with me the history of such religious highway robbery in the first place. Consider with me a little history about monetary abuse. And remember, the world puts all religions or all quote unquote Christian religions in the same boat. If you'll go back to, with me <coughs> to the medieval Roman Catholic Church, you will remember 
Sorry, folks, I get it back down here where I can see the monitor. That's better. <coughs> I'm smaller now, right? <coughs> um, if you go back with me in history to the medieval Roman Catholic Church, you will remember St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Okay, let's try this again. Come on, you can do it. Thank you. Same. Sure. That's fine. Back to our topic. Sorry, that's a little dark. St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. In 2018, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome was said to be worth 5.4 billion with a B dollars. If you were to take what it cost to build it when it was built and put it in 2018 dollars, it would be around five and a half billion. But it's actually been listed as priceless, one of a kind, priceless, irreplaceable. The thing about St. Peter's Basilica is it was funded and built on the sale of indulgences. An indulgence was the brainchild of some medieval Catholic who thought, okay, if we can run around and we can sell indulgences to people and they'll pay money for it, that's what we need to do. An indulgence, basically buying one, means, quote, an individual could reduce the length and severity of their punishment that heaven would require as a payment for their sins according to the Catholic Church. It, it, the absurdity of that. Let me read it again. By purchasing an indulgence, an individual could reduce the length and severity of punishment that heaven would require as payment for their sins according to the Catholic Church. Basically, it was a get-out-of-jail-free card. And the more that you spent and you bought this slip of paper, or whatever it was, I don't know what it was, but the more you, you paid for this indulgence, the less your payment for your sins would be required in heaven. You want to talk about a scam of epic proportions. Did Jesus pay it all? Jesus paid it all, didn't he? Well, there is no more then. Like I said, this scam of epic proportions. In fact, the sale of these indulgences that built this church building that is priceless or worth $5.4 billion or, or whatever, was one of the significant triggers to the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther, the Catholic monk, had a big problem with the sale of indulgences, realizing it was a scam. But when people think about money to religious organizations, they think about these sorts of things. And these are not the only things they think of. More recently, of course, we have the fake faith healers and false teachers. Now, according to the scriptures, they are fake faith healers today and false teachers. Men such as we are all aware, men such as Oral Roberts, who said God gave him a personal ultimatum to raise $8 million or else within a year. People remember that. People remember that. And they think that all religions are like that. When you add to that the fact that men like Joel Olstein, if you look up his worth on the internet, Joel Olstein is worth $100 million, $100 million. 
And when you start thinking about that, it is not surprising that the religious world thinks that all churches want your money. When you go to some denominational events or you get these flyers for denominational events, they'll talk to you about this love offering that they're going to take. And every time you go to something they hold, you know, you have to give to this love offering. It's, it's like the lady, and I've told you before, but it's like the lady at Walmart who cashed us out uh, who I had a whole cart full of yarn and she asked what it was for and I said the ladies at church at the last preaching job I had I said the ladies at church are going to make things to give to um, emergency infant services or Tulsa youth, Tulsa youth services or whoever it was at the time and her comment was to the effect oh a church that actually gives something back rather than taking that's what she said that's the idea that religious uh, that's the idea people have about religion due to some of these things. As Brother Webster continues in his tract, he says, true Christians oppose these abuses as strongly, if not more so, than those on the outside. Bad apples and false teachers block the path for people to find God's love, grace, and truth. And of course, people on the outside who do not know their Bibles do not know that God himself, through men like the apostles Paul and Peter, warned us, warned us of just such lies and the greed of the false teachers who would come up with and tell them in order to line their own pockets and in order to live lives of luxury while on this earth. God told us that in places like 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 10, and 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, which I'm going to read from the ESV version. It says, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Verse 2 of 2 Peter 2, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. Verse 3 is the punchline, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. God told us this was going to happen. God told us the reason. The reason that people come up with all of these other things other than what the Bible says is out of greed. That's what God said right there in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3. through 3. Brother Webster went on to explain in his tract, it is not uncommon for denominational churches to send members notifications if their monthly or annual contributions fall short. According to ABC News, one Florida church sent a single mother a notice that she owed $1,000, the minimum of 50 a month plus two special offerings per year. If she failed to pay, she would no longer be considered a member. Christianity Today, according to Brother Webster, reported that another preacher refused to do the funeral of a 93-year-old member because she had stopped giving. He explained, quote, membership has its privileges. Is it any wonder that people view churches like they do. Membership does have its privileges, amen, but not at all the way this guy was talking. One of the greatest privileges ever 
one of the greatest privileges of being a member of the Lord's Church is that we have the sole responsibility of financing the church. Now, that doesn't mean God's not going to give us the means to do it, but what it means is, is that ours is the privilege and the opportunity of supporting the church. That is never, ever, ever the responsibility of our guests, of our visitors, or of the people in our communities, ever. This is why we don't hold bake sales. This is why we don't have car washes or concerts or anything of the sort. Now, I got to tell you, it, it was just, wow, it was timing. Friday, two days ago, we get the mail. <laughs> and in the mail, we got this flyer. It is hosted by a Baptist church listed there in fine print. And they're having this, this concert, as you can see. And, and what I want to point out, uh, obviously it was a trifold and it got ripped getting open, but then I kind of taped it back together because I wanted you all to see this. But, but that lower corner, let me blow it up a little bit for you, says this. Free concert for the whole family, mail donations too. I didn't make this up, I wanted you to see the flyer. Is it any wonder people say, I don't want to go to church, all they want is your money. It's confusing messages like that. They'll get you. Asking our invited, think about this, think about this, just really think about this. Asking our invited guests and visitors to come to church to feast on the bread of heaven, and then expecting them to put money in some so-called love offering. By the way, love offering is a phrase that is never seen in the scriptures. Having them come to church to feast on the bread of heaven, and then having them or expecting them to put money in some sort of so-called love offering would be the same thing as this. It would be the same thing as inviting somebody over to your house for dinner. You invite somebody over to your house to dinner. Like, remember this morning's sermon, I talked about how at the six-week checkup, we invited Leo and Rowena over to our house for dinner that night. Remember that? It would be like inviting somebody to your house for dinner, and once they've got done eating, saying, oh, by the way, I'm charging you 15 bucks a plate and desserts five extra, so here's your bill for dinner, after you've invited them to your house. How far do you think I'd have gotten with Leo and Rowena that night if I'd have said, great, you guys, come to, come to dinner. By the way, here's your bill. And why do we invite people, or why do churches invite people to feast on the bread of life? And say, oh, by the way, we want you to pay for this. And you see, it's not simply, we don't simply not ask our guests and visitors and community members, we don't simply not ask them to put money in the plate just because we're good people. We do that because we want to be God's people. And God's instructions are crystal clear. It is his church members who alone have the exclusive privilege of supporting his church. Let's take a look at this in scripture, shall we? Turn with me to the, in Acts, Acts chapter 2. That passage we probably all got memorized. And, and think about church members putting in money. Think about this text in the context of what we're talking about tonight. In Acts chapter 2, 
We know that Peter preached the first gospel sermon. They asked, what shall we do? Peter said, you've got to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 40, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And that's usually where we stop reading, but that's not where the chapter ends. What happened after that? What happened after they were baptized? What happened after they were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins and saved? at that point, as scripture says. Well, tells us. They continued from that point on steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Nobody else's. Nobody else's. And fellowship, talked a lot about that lately in some of our classes, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now watch this, here it comes. Now. All who believed were together. Everybody that had obeyed the gospel, all of those people that had believed in Jesus, that had been saved, that had been baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, in other words, the church, were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them all as anyone had need. Do you see it? Do you see it? It was the church members that took care of the church members. They're the ones that did it. They didn't go to, to anybody else and say, hey, can you fund the church for us? It was those people that took care of, it was the family of God that took care of the family of God. Go with me to Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32, if you would please, and look there. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, now the multitude of those who believed, see, you've got to understand who did it. The multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. They, that's those who believe, that's the Christians. And with great power, the apostles, verse 33, gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them, among who? Among those who believed, who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. The church took care of the church. God's people had the exclusive privilege of helping God's people not to be in need. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11 and look in verse 27. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit there's going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, notice who it was. It was the Christians, the disciples. Each, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. The disciples here sent it to the brethren there. The church members here sent it to the church members there, and they did this by, they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. The church took care of the church's finances. Those who were blessed enough to be washed in the blood, those who were disciples and followers, they are the ones that funded the church benevolence. If we turn also in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, again and again and again we see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, look at verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> it says, now concerning the collection for the saints, for the church, 
as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. Who's you? The church there in Corinth. We know this because it says in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, Paul tells you in four different ways, four different ways that he's writing to the church. And what did he tell the church? There in Corinth, he said, chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, church members, the faithful in Christ there, you need to do the same thing I told all the churches of the Galatian region to do. Whoops, there we go. I told all the churches of the Galatian region to do. On the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, let each one of you, that is the church, lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And finally, in 2 Corinthians, if you'll turn with me there, chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Did, did you get that? The churches of Macedonia were poor. Paul said, I want to tell you about the grace bestowed on them. And what he's going to tell the church in Corinth, I want to tell you about the grace given to those churches. There was so much grace given to those churches that even in their poverty, they couldn't help but give because that's what the church does. The church takes care of the church. Let me just read it. God says it better than I could. Again, chapter 8 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Do you see what a privilege it is to give to the church, to take care of the needs of the saints? These poor people that had nothing, I mean, they didn't have the dirt in the road, begged Paul, he said, please let us give to this, please let us have part in, in, in this, this wonderful thing that you're doing. That, that we can help to minister to the saints. And Paul writes in verse 5, not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Paul says they became Christians first. And when they gave their whole heart, mind, and soul to God, when they did that, that is what caused them to want to give. You see, the church funds the church. Always, always. In the Bible, in the New Testament, Even should some of our guests and visitors at some point decide to put on Christ in the waters of Christian baptism, even should they decide to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins and be added by God to the church, just as we see they did in Acts 2, 37 through 47, even should they do that, they're still not to tithe. They're still not to tithe. Tithing, giving 10%, is something that many man-made denominational churches insist upon. Churches that seem to be more consumed 
with other saved money than their lost souls still insist that this is the way it must be today. But once again, that's not the biblical New Testament God-given blueprint or pattern for the Lord's church. It's not. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verses 6 and 7. You want to know what the blueprint calls for? You want to know what the pattern calls for for funding the church? It ain't tithing. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now there's nothing wrong with giving 10%. Or 20, or 30, or 2, or 5. If that's what you've decided to do. Brother Webster makes the point very well. He writes, mandatory tithing, giving 10%, is the cornerstone of many churches teaching on giving, but it was not part of the early church's practice. We can see what the early church's practice was right here. And those people in, in Acts 2 and Acts 4 that sold houses and all of that, that was a little more than 10%, quite likely. Tithing and insisting on it, that was part of Moses' law. Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30 and Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10 and it went out of date 2,000 years ago, according to Colossians 2 in verse 14. Just like the instruments of the Old Testament were outdated and done away with as part of worship 2,000 years ago, Colossians chapter 2, so too was a mandatory insistence upon tithing. Brother Webster continued, in the New Testament, Christians are not commanded to give a specific percentage, but they are simply commanded to give as prospered, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, cheerfully, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, and generously, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and Acts 2, 44 and 5. It is not wrong to give 10%, but it is wrong to require it. Leaders can bind no more than the apostles commanded, Matthew 16, 19, and 18, 18. Brother Webster concludes, as Christians prosper and grow spiritually, they will give more than 10%, but this is a personal decision, not a church mandate. And brethren, what, what, what people need to know that we study with and that we reach out to because religion at large, religion, what we call the world of Christendom at large, is so caught up in the whole money aspect and people's savings rather than saving people's souls that, that, that they have got to understand when they come to us, we are not asking them to put anything in the plate. It's not their job. Not if we're going to follow the pattern. They need to know that because I'm telling you right now, there are probably some people at some point in your life you've talked to about coming to church who've had a bad experience with hypocritical people in, in different religions that are only concerned with their money and it's left such a bad taste in their mouth that they don't want anything to do with any church and, and they don't understand that, that the church of the New Testament, we're, we're not going to take their money. We're, we're not interested in their money. We're interested in their soul, amen? That's what the church was interested in. 
The bottom line for them to know and understand and to always be told long before they ever enter our assemblies, if you invite somebody to services, make sure they know this. They need to know the same truth that Brother Webster ended that tract with. This was his last sentence. And by the way, it serves as the title of tonight's sermon. If you go online and look this sermon up on, on godswordistruth.org, this is going to be the title. You ready? It's safe to visit. Leave your wallet at home. Brother Webster finished with that, and I thought it would make a wonderful title. Because here's the thing. No matter how hard, no matter how deep, no matter how long one looks into the pages of the New Testament or the perfect law of liberty, as James puts it in James 1.25, you're not going to find even one place where people other than church members were asked to support <coughs> the church. It's not there. It's not in the pattern. You're not going to find a place where the government is asked to support the church. You're not going to find a place where guests and visitors and pagans are asked to support the church. That's not in the Bible any more than instrumental music is found in the New Testament church or that the sinner's prayer is found as a means of salvation. None of those things are in the scriptures. None of them. And the beautiful thing that sets us apart as the Lord's church is we want to be this church. Amen? This church right here. The Lord's church, the same church that, that we read about in the pages of the New Testament. Because this pattern, this blueprint, which I've also preached about recently, does not have instrumental music in worship or the sinner's prayer of faith for salvation or outsiders supporting the church who are not members, we would never dare add those things to the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. That's kind of just the negative side. That, that's, that's that, you know. There are other verses, though, that are in the Bible. There are other verses in the Bible which our friends and guests and visitors do need to see. They do need to know. They do need to understand when it comes to us being separate or us being different when it comes to money. You know, what they, you know what they need to see and they need to know? They need to be brought to understand that we absolutely believe, not just the scriptures that talk about the things I have, but we believe and preach and teach and live Jesus' words in places like Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, which says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We as a church believe that. We are here as givers, not takers. We believe Jesus' words in places like Matthew 10, 8, wherein it says, freely you have received, freely give. And, and folks, the, the churches of Christ, this is all over the place, that, that our main concern is not, uh, is not guests and visitors' money, it's their souls. I, I can list you, let's, let's go through a real quick short list. If, if you go to some, one of the things that drives me bananas, okay? You go to a website, you're trying to read a news story, and you got your whole computer screen. Yeah, bigger than that, okay. Your whole computer screen. And at the top, you got the headers on, and then you got commercials popping up, and then you, one thing you can count on every time you go to read a news story, is have your, have your mouse ready for the little pop-ups. Would you like to be added to our list? No, I'm just trying to read a story. Get out of the way, you know, click and, and get out. 
commercials, 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 commercials. And then there's all these tracking cookies and all this other stuff. It's hard to read a news story on your computer for three minutes without just commercials all over the place, squeezing everything down. Because everybody's trying to sell you something. Everybody's trying to take your money. You want to hear some good news? Go to the Shoto Hills Church of Christ web page. You won't see those commercials popping up, will you, Mark? You go to churchofchristarticles.com. Brad Harab and a lot of other good writers on there. You're not going to see commercials come on. You go to godswordistruth.org. You're not going to see commercials pop on. Good brothers pay money for their own websites. I pay for the one I've got because I don't want commercials. I don't, I'm, I'm not here to make money. I'm here to, get, to make people understand the truth of the gospel. You're not going to see ads. I haven't sold commercial time all over my website any more than a lot of these brothers have. To, to try to make money. People when, they, people, when they walk into our assemblies, okay, they need to understand that we're out to give to them, not to take from them. Those visitor packets are not cheap. When people come here, what do they get? They get a visitor's packet. It's got those bookmarks. Those were not low-grade, cheap-quality bookmarks. They get bookmarks. They get um, some of the pamphlets that are in there. Um, they get a house-to-house -house in there. None of those things are free to us, but you know why we buy them? And you know why we give those to visitors? We give them to them because we're more interested in their souls going to heaven. And we don't charge them for them. We've even got, we got DVDs out there. We've even got Bibles out there. If somebody comes into this building and they want to study and they don't have a Bible, we'll give them a Bible. We're not here to take, we're here to give. And that's what sets Churches of Christ apart. We're not going to have some special offering that everybody has to throw money into who's a guest or visitor. We would never be so rude to our guests as to charge them for the meal of the bread of heaven we invited them over to have. And you know, it doesn't even stop there, not by a long shot. I want you to consider this. Brother Webster, in another one of his excellent tracks, one which is in some of our visitor packets, actually, a tract called, What Does the Church Have to Offer Me, wrote this. You want to talk about us giving to others and that sets us apart as opposed to them coming here for a free whatever, send your donations to? <laughs> Check this out. Brother Webster writes, The early church continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, Acts 2.42. Most Americans value education enough to invest considerable segments of time and thousands of dollars pursuing it. A strong case can be made that Bible instruction is the most important part of a well-rounded education. Theodore Roosevelt said, a thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. Paul gave up everything in exchange for the knowledge of Christ, Philippians 3 and verse 8. The early saints risked imprisonment, endured beatings, and disobeyed their city council in order to continue to teach and to learn, Acts chapter 14, verses 19 and 20, Acts chapter 5, verses 41 and 2. Brother Webster continues. 
The Church of Christ takes seriously its divine commandment to teach, including classes, sermons, vacation Bible schools, and sermon series, a congregation offers about 220 hours of instruction each year. At a typical college per hour rate, that is about $14,300 worth of free education every year. Thus, a child receives $171,720 worth of education in 12 years. If a child comes to every meeting of the church, comes to all the Bible classes, comes to all of the sermons over the course of, of that child growing up over 12 years, at the rates of typical college learning per hour, that child in 12 years has gotten $171,000 worth of a free education. Do you ever think about it like that? He goes on to say this. Adults receive free instruction. If an adult goes all their life, they receive free instruction amounting to $1,073,250 over a lifetime. Yeah. We're about giving, not taking. We're about taking care of each other and spreading the gospel. And that financial responsibility is ours, not our guests and visitors. You see, churches of Christ are completely unique in today's religious landscape. They are truly one of a kind. That's true whether we're talking about the absence of musical instruments in our songs and praise to God or our benevolent giving rather than seeking to take from our friends and neighbors and guests and visitors and communities. And we're also different in our absolute insistence on baptism having to occur before salvation. Our absolute insistence that salvation cannot and does not ever occur for any responsible adult before or without belief, confession, repentance, and baptism. We're different from the religious world around us and the man-made denominations all around us of our day in a lot of areas. But there's only one reason why, and that is because we're not going to add to or take from or edit or change or tamper with or compromise God's exact black and white blueprint or pattern which he provided for all of his faithful children to faithfully follow some 2,000 years ago for the building of his one New Testament house or church. Same church that we see right here in the New Testament. Same church we see named in the New Testament. The same church that the apostles and the prophets worked and worshiped in to the glory of God. The same church that you too can be added to right now by God just the same way as they were 2,000 years ago in the New Testament. 
Just as we see recorded in Acts chapter 2, God's plan, God's blueprint has not changed. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, if you've heard that and you believe it and you understand that you're a sinner, you understand that your sins have separated you from God and you know what awaits you because you, you, if you're not with God, you know what awaits you. If you understand that like they did in Acts chapter 2 and you wonder what to do, Peter's words are just as true today as they, as they were the moment they come out of his mouth. When he said, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit promised to you and to all your children, to all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. With all those words, he warned them to be saved and then those who received his word were baptized and about 3,000 souls were added by God to his church that day. You can do that now, be added to that same church, because that same church is here. And I'll tell you this, it won't cost you a dime to join the church, because it already cost Jesus everything for you to join the church, for you to become a part of that blood-bought and purchased group who follows only the New Testament plan, the blueprint for his church. If you've not done that and would do so this night, or if you need the prayers of God's people, please come to the front right now while we stand and while we sing.